Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Trading Coach. Today, I'll be talking with Tarek Brock. Tarek has an amazing amount of knowledge about the game. He's been in professional baseball for well over 20 years as a player and has been a coach for an extremely long time. He is currently the first base coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Today, we're going to talk about the mindset of a base runner and the mindset of outfielders. Is that his specialty? He's been doing this a long time. If you're enjoying these episodes, of course, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any episodes. And also, if you are looking for some more personal development for your son or daughter, check out mentaledge.training. Enjoy this episode with Tarek Brock. Today, we're here with Tarek Brock. Tarek is a good friend. He's been in baseball for coming up on 30 years. So it's kind of interesting. He's been a player uh, for 13 years, has been a coach for, for longer than that. We were able to play against each other in AAA, a little bit in the big leagues. And I remember spending a little bit of time in AAA with the Marlins. Is you were the the one of the coaches, outfield <laughs> base running coach then, and that's been kind of your niche. But Tarek, welcome to the channel, man. How are you? Man, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to just just talking and, and just sharing some some good stuff with everyone out there. Awesome. Yeah, so Tarek is now you're the first base coach for the Pirates, right? It's your yeah. first year with them. So I want you to take us through kind of your personal story on how, you know, you, you were a player for a long time and then what transitioned you into becoming a coach? Man, that's a really cool thing. You know, you have your playing career and it's, you have it set in your mind what it's going to look like. And it hardly ever looks like how you picture it in your mind. Uh, coming out of high school, I didn't really, you know, experience failure at all in high school. And you get on the pro ball and, you know, three for 10, is a great week, but when you're in high school, it, it's terrible, right? And so you have your ups and downs and you meet different coaches. And for me, certain coaches that really impact my life more so off the field than on the field. Yeah. You know, one time I slammed a water cooler because I was just frustrated. And Dwight Lowry, you know, God rest his soul with the Tigers, pulled me to the side and said, son, this is not how we behave. Like, this game is going to eat you up because you're going to have many more days like this than you had yesterday when you went three for four. And that stuck with me. Uh, and it was just like the good coaches with the, the, the ones that were more patient, the ones that was just no nonsense, all those guys combined formed and shaped what I thought my coaching career would be like. And once I got into it, it was just about giving back. It was just about, you know, helping players where I felt like, you know, I didn't get what I needed. And so my coaching career has just been, become like my service to others. And so, it, you know, all the – and I tell guys, like most guys don't say, well, as a coach, I mess guys up. You know, you do. Like, but your heart is in the right place because I was a player and now I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. So that's taking off one hat and putting on another that you're not even ready for. But you have all this playing experience, but like I didn't have life experience as a leader at that that point, you know, especially on the field. And so it just became trial and error. And when you look back at it, go like I messed up some guys, but my heart was in the right place. And the relationships that lasted out of that, you know, just far exceeded our time that we were together, and that was probably the best thing ever. No doubt. I, I can't imagine so with you being in the, the game as long as you have giving advice, say, as a 30 a year old compared to what you would do at 40 
it's it's probably a completely different perspective i would imagine absolutely here's the biggest thing that i, I was sharing with guys um where people just fall short the first thing is fit it's hard to go from player to coach and that's the hard thing trying to fit trying to fit into those meetings you know fit into hearing guys being criticized when you were like were they saying the same thing about me last year yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then some they were just being nice yeah and then also <laughs> excuse me having those older coaches work hard to have me fit in but also me working hard to fit in with them mm -hmm. and that's a that's a balance i wasn't good at that at all and so it, it was a time but once you get in the right fit and you feel like you fit in and you work in the fit in, then you have freedom. Mm -hmm. And when you have that freedom, like you could try things and not feel so bad if it doesn't succeed. It's just trial and error. And when you have that freedom, it creates fun, fun for you as a coach, yeah. but then more so fun for the players. And when you have fun and you have it's a freedom and it's a fit, it brings about one big, huge thing, which is energy what people call it passion. And when you have energy, like then you can meet your challenges differently. You can meet it with a different perspective, but it's the energy that will help work through those challenges as well. And that was the biggest thing. And so I was sharing that with guys, like it's about the fit, both for those that are, you know, in, in positions of authority, when like, like when I was a coordinator, but also when I was a hitting coach under guys, like really working hard to fit. And the huge beneficiary of that is the players because it's about them. Yeah. And so that was one thing that I learned so much. And, and I just try to share it. I'm like, I wish I would have known this when I was when I was coming up. And because I didn't know it, it was the thing that crippled me the most. Yeah. So when you were um, when you were told that you that when you can't play anymore, right, we're, we're, we're all told that like it's over <laughs> whether it's being released uh, you're a free agent you can't get a job anywhere and then you transitioned and became a coach were you thinking about being a coach at some point while you were playing or was it till you were kind of forced into that i was getting groomed and didn't even know it <laughs> um here's some really cool names uh, dino Ebo was a third base coach oh, yeah. with the dodgers was my double a manager and then terry collins who also was you know Longtime major league manager was the farm director slash field coordinator, mm -hmm. and I remember I should have went to to AAA in Las Vegas, but they wanted me to stay in AA to handle some really cool prospects. One Shane Victorino, yeah. Reggie Abercrombie, Edwin Jackson, the journeyman who's still playing. Uh, Jason Repko was another one of them. So this is back in the Dodgers days. Back in the Dodgers yeah. days. Yeah, and it was cool because. That's what I did. And I helped them on the field, helped them off the field. We would play video games in the room, go out to eat. You know, they gave me a little extra money, so I was able to take guys out as well. Mm -hmm. And I was coaching there and didn't realize I was doing it. And I happened to do it a, a second year, and they came out and asked me, you'll be a great coach one day. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and then, you know, but I was coaching there. And actually, Dino got kicked out of a game our hitting coach didn't like to be on the field and I had a day off as a day game, you know, a veteran player. So I ended up going out coaching third base. Uh, here's the crazy, I coached third base. We needed a pinch hitter for the pitcher coming up. It was a left-right situation with first base open. 
and the hitting coach, Harrison, like calls me in the dugout. I'm like, you know, they're going to intentionally walk me. He goes, yeah, I'm going to pinch run for you. So he burned three players on one play. That was not a good managerial move. So I walked to first on four pitches, right, like four. I get to first. I turn around. There's a player running out in the field. I go straight from first base to the third base coaching box. He walks off the field. <laughs> that was my introduction to coaching for real. Yeah. And it was, it was the coolest thing ever from there. I took a year off uh, after that year and was just with my kids. Uh, doing lessons, you know, helping their friends out. And I said, I, I want to do something more. Not like that wasn't meaningful, but I just wanted to do more and get back to the game. And so uh, I joined on in, in the Dodgers organization yeah. uh, that year, which was great. And it seems to me like a lot of these organizations, you've been to a few, you've been, correct me if I'm wrong, base running outfield coach, right? Is that, mm -hmm. That's kind of your specialty, correct? Yes. Yes. So what, what is it about that aspect of the game that you mentioned passion, kind of your energy? What do you love about that? You know, the cool thing about that is I get to work with everyone in the organization. Okay. And, you know, it's like, well, you're outfield coach. I get to work with catchers. And you being in the National League, pitchers got to run too. And then sometimes I would handle the bunny. So I got to touch everyone in the organization, which made me better. Hmm. So, like, when you put outfielders only – like there's a certain lingo jargon that you have that everyone understands. But now I got to go in and communicate with infielders when it comes to base running. And I don't work with them all the time. So they don't know my energy and my intensity. So it's like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> and the cool thing is like, no one wakes up in the morning and raise their hand like, yes, we get to run the bases today. Right. right. You know, pitchers wake up, they work, work on, you know, throwing strikes. Hitters working on hitting the ball off the yard. No one, thankfully, I get to run around the bases. It's usually conditioning, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> and if you're one of the faster ones, and everything is matched off with your speed. So if you're not running hard, everyone else is not running hard. And that was the one thing that, that bugged me. Mm. And so when I teach and I talk about base running, I talk about, talk about it about energy. It's like, you're not running hard enough. Like, what determines if you're running hard? It's not always time, right? Mm -hmm. But you can see and you can feel energy because that energy gives you that, ooh, like somebody busts it down the line and it's a bang, bang, play. Everyone goes, oh, that was close. That's the energy and that sparks. And once you see that, now you want to do it. It's something that is easily repeatable and you get enough energy. It's a spark. And what that can lead to you being the best base running organization in baseball. And that's my goal every year is to be amongst the best of the best. And we do that by just having what I call SAT players, okay. right? Smart, you know, learning things, relearning things, understanding concepts when it comes to base running, the size of the league, the time in the secondary league. Everyone's there because they're athletic at some point and, and can do some things. But here's the most important thing, tough. And when people think, they think, they think tough-minded, but it's just tough in your resilience to, I hit a ground ball, I am mad as hell, but I'm going to give this, give the team good energy down the line, yeah. whatever that looks like. And that's the toughness that you look for because you and I both know you get a cookie and you don't hit it, you are deflated, you are mad, <laughs> and you don't want to run down there because you know you're out. All right. <laughs> you know, but we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the organization, our teammates, and the people that's in the stands to run that doggone ball out. With, with, with good energy and 
that's the most selfless thing that you can do in that moment. And so it's like, it helps us get off of just having the light shine on us because of who we are. But now it gets to shine on you because of your character and what you're doing. And that's the most important thing to me. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, one thing that really bugs me when I'm out scouting on the amateur side is, you know, even though base running is very heavily overlooked. Now, when we write reports and stuff, that is a part of we have to grade base running. And yes. usually, you know, if, if five is an average, it's usually it's usually not very good in the aspect of they don't kids don't have the energy and the passion to be on the bases mm -hmm. and really take that pitch by pitch, you know, you know, getting those hard secondaries, going back hard to the base, at least one or two steps, just those little things that you can tell, like when a kid just doesn't want to be out there. And, and it's, it's one of those things you're like, God, does this guy even want to play? And to me, that's almost a separator, right? When, when yes. I can see a guy base run, what, what do you do when you're dealing with, let's say the minor league player? And because I'm sure you still see it because we see in the big leagues a little bit when they, you're not seeing the energy, how do you handle that? Well, it, 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 I believe the setup is the most important thing. Okay. And the setup is the first day, this is what we're going to establish. And we're gonna establish it by one or two ways, right? We're going to establish and I'm going to project what the ultimate goal is, right? And at the end of the day, is to run the bases better than them. That's one. Okay. Two, take better primaries, better secondaries, right we're gonna you know cut the corners better like we're just going to do everything else better this is how we're going to do it we have to run in order to do it but then there's a promise that made i'm not going to kill you while we do it like we're going to do it with an understanding of we're just going to work at first base and we're going to work in a 15 foot radius and we're just going to work on just dominating this one portion of this play and we're going to do it i want you to know it to where you say you could do it in your sleep, but I want you to wake up and do it too. Mm -hmm. And so guys get that and they understand it. And I'm gonna get out there with them and try and make it fun. And look at it it's like, this is how we win games, not how we condition. Because that was the old way. Like we're doing best running for conditioning and it's like, oh my gosh. So we're taking something yeah. that is extremely like important, like championship moments, mm -hmm. and we reduce them to conditioning, getting your heart rate up instead of this is what's going to win us a two-to-one ball game. A guy scoring from first on a long single down the right foot line is going to help us win a, a, a run-one game. Like that becomes important. And when you set that tempo and, and the, the players know that you believe it and feel it, they'll fall right in line with it because young players just want to be appreciated. Now when they don't, and when they don't fall in line with that, because when we talk, I, I want it to be interactive, not like I'm just talking at you. I want you to be engaged. So it's like, you know, our goal is to be the best base running organization in baseball. I'm going to say it again. Our goal is to be what? And then they'll say the best base running organization in baseball. So now we all agree. You said it. I said it. We all agree. So now we're working towards a goal. So they agree. That's it. So I'm just trying to get four components of who they are to, to fall in line with it, right? I want their minds. I want their minds on the go. I want their hearts, right? I want their souls to be in agreement with it. And then we get to see it all play out with how your body moves. Now, if one of those components 
where there's the mind, the heart, and the soul, and the spirit is not in line with it, you'll see guys like, so what is it that you're not believing about what we're talking about here so we can get you all on board? They go, okay, cool. Now we just keep going from there. And it's just a reminder, I've been there. I've made every mistake that you can make, and I even made it in the big leagues. So if you make it here, you know, in Lancaster, in high A, let's learn from it. And you're going to make this mistake again as well, right? Is if you're making it with effort and putting forth energy, or if you're making that mistake on autopilot, now we're really in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, a, when a player is on autopilot, he is dangerous to himself and dangerous to the team. And you and I know if you're up there hitting the guy's throwing 96 and you're on autopilot and that ball's coming at your head, <laughs> thank God for technology, right? Right. right. And right. so, like, that, that's it. So that's why I just said, like, we don't want autopilots. We want SAT players, smart, athletic, and tough. Yeah, just something popped in my head. It's, it's like when you, you're you hitting, right, and you got the runner at second base, and maybe that player's kind of known for not really putting their heart and soul into base running. You hit a, a rocket into to left field, a hard ground ball, and the, the guy can run, and he can score, but – he doesn't like he doesn't put that effort into it and now you're pissed right as a hitter number one because you, you should have scored there right we need to score yes. that run you know whatever the, the situation of the game is but that's when you start kind of pissing off your teammates right yes. and you're like this guy all he cares about is hitting all he cares about is himself and, and we've all played with those type of guys um and you know, I don't think you ever want to put yourself in that situation because it shows how selfish you are and you're not out yes. there to in with your team so do you, are you seeing that a lot still um i'm seeing that not like that but i see that guys are unsure and because they're unsure or the execution is behind like you could take your secondary lead too early or too late right so yeah. if you're too early you get out and you stop if you're too late you're trying to catch up with the play both of those increase your chances of making mistakes mm-hmm. or you can take your secondary lead right in the pocket, right? Like me, as the arm is coming forward, instead of when this this foot you know, lifts up and come down. Yeah. And so as the arm is coming forward, you're still moving as the ball is through the zone. And what stops you is when the ball hits the catcher's glove, you plant that right foot down and you're crossing over hard, looking back at the same time. Okay. And when guys are in that mode, they'll give you, and I call it active feet. You want to play with active feet and run the bases with energy and so what happens is is there i'm going to be on you i'm going to say hey start later you know there i was saying in spring training hey start a little bit later they go okay as soon as they do it yeah that's it what else am i going to do i'm not at first base to take gloves and helmets and just stand there like i'm there because i believe i'm the most important coach at first and the third base coach is the most valuable coach and now we're working together to send get the guy from home plate back to home plate as quickly and efficiently as possible. And so when you have that approach and, and you can hear my passion when I talk about it, that's what I believe. And once that happens and somebody believes and they're like, you really believe this? Yes, I do. What if we don't? Then we'll, we'll get close to our goal, right? Like we don't have to get it this year, but we get close to it and we're like the third best base running team in Major League Baseball. Okay, that's great. How can we get better? We did a great job. We improved. Where were we at last year? Okay, this is where we're at now. What's the end goal? 
once we get to the end goal, now let's do it again. Let's do it better. And so it just, it keeps pushing. It's just like a relentless, you know, assault on greatness, right? So I don't want to do anything like, like I want to go after it hard. I want to make positive mistakes. I want to learn from them and, and grow. And that has to happen in, in my coaching as well. Like at first base, you get four seconds to be the voice of the actions of a third base coach who is in agreement with the manager who gives him the signs. And I got four seconds to be the audible part of this whole equation, which means I need to let you aware of, okay, this is a ground ball guy. They're in the shift, right? Mm -hmm. You know, deep, sure, fly ball, hold your position, come out and tag. And, oh, yeah, by the way, before you leave, we got one out. Right. (laughs) All that in four seconds. And that conversation continuously, you know, changes. Now, if you got a base stealer, I got to get that plus give you the time and make sure you're seeing the key or the sequence as well. But don't forget all these other factors as well. And so that conversation continuously just changes from pitch to pitch, out to out hitter to hitter mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting is if you were talking to say a casual fan and mm-hmm. watching a guy like you that runs out to first base gets in that little box they're probably like well what does that guy do is does he just take the equipment you know he takes the shin guard and the elbow guard no it's a lot more into that to talk about maybe just an example of uh, what you have to do to prepare for a series at the big league well, uh, most importantly is that I want to get eyes on, on, on the opposition, the team, the opponents that we're playing. I'm going to get a bunch of literature, and I'm going to pick out of that literature what is specific to what I need at first base. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to watch pitchers. I'm going to watch how they throw to home, you know, what it looks like when they throw over the first. Now I'm going to look at that with runners on first, first and second, first and third, First and second, like second and third, I'm watching catchers block balls, throw balls to, you know, first, second, and third. I'm even looking to see how they're turning double plays. Mm-hmm. Like who's receiving the ball. If he's straddling a bag, is he in the front or in the back? I'm looking at how guys catch fly balls. I, I'm just doing everything I can because I want to get so much information so that when we have a meeting, I get to take all this vast information and condense it down to this is our game plan and this is what we're going to do. Their middle infield is shaky, so we're going to make sure that we really continue having great energy down the line and put some pressure on them because they blow, they make wild throws. Mm-hmm. And if there is a play down the lines and they're relay guys and they're not accurate, as soon as that ball is hit, I'm yelling scoring right away, like you're scoring. So. Make sure you stay tight on your turns. You make sure you lean. And when you come out them turns, you are lifting and driving through home play. Like you're just giving them information. Right? Right. Okay, cool. Now I'm <laughs> going to go to each individual. And, okay, he might not be as quick going back to first base, but the pitcher is quick coming over. Hey, I need you to shorten up a half a step today. This is why. But this is how it's going to benefit you. And I want you to start your secondary lead a little bit later so you can roll in it and you're going to advance on a ball in the dirt. You're going to read it better. You're going to see it bounce out in front of home plate and you're going to take off. If that ball is behind home plate, that means that the great chance that that catcher is going to block it, it's not going to go, you know, far off of him. Guess what? Then you got to stay there. Or when he blocks the ball, he doesn't get up. He doesn't get up. 
he's not athletic enough to get up real quick and throw you out. Let's take a chance here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like giving them vital information where they feel like I have an advantage right here. And so that becomes a part of what the game plan may be. And that's the work. So I don't just take gloves and just stand there and just yell back, which they can't hear you in, in front <laughs> no. of 47,000 people anyway. So it's like, no, there's constant conversations that, that are going on um, all the time. So, so you're telling us it's not your fault when somebody gets picked off at first. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> and not at the same time. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I, when, I, when I'm coaching high school kids, you know, and I, I've done a, a kid gets picked off at first base, you know, and I, I didn't say anything. They, like, get picked up, they look up at you, and they're like, why didn't you say anything? I'm like, that's not my job. <laughs> Your right. job is to watch the pitcher and get back to first base. <laughs> right, and if you're trusting the dugout, when everyone's yelling back like that, that's it's too late. It, right. it happens, but it's just giving them, you know, the information and sure. studying, being a student of your players as well, yeah. so that you can help them uh, not run into, you know, simple mistakes. Because the biggest thing that young players don't understand, because it starts in little league, is the value of an out. Hmm. Right, the value of an out becomes important. Right. If I got Chris Archer, one of our pitchers, or Joe Musgrove, one of our pitchers on the hill, and he's throwing well, and we have an opportunity on a ball that should be two outs on the ground ball. I call it the two-for-one special. One pitch, two outs. Mm-hmm. right? And if we don't get that out, now that's another pitch that he's got to throw in that inning, which he could be using for another inning. And so the value of the out becomes extremely important. So in Little League, we don't have it. Sometimes in minor league baseball, we roll it over in spring training. But that's what we're setting our players up once the season starts. There is no rolling over during that time. Like, that's where you got to get tough, even in spring training, and fight to get out of that because we're setting how the year is going to start off. That's awesome. What would you say with uh, – let's talk about stealing bases. Uh, I'm sure you, in your time you probably have learned from amazing – base running coaches what is the what's the mindset of a base stealer man just one thing only i'm going that way (laughs) every single pitch i am going that way but outside of that it's it's i found that it is the the guys that do it well they have a couple good gifts one they're they have no fear look at billy hamilton has no fear ricky henderson had no fear juan pierre had no fear right they also had a component where they were like the second fastest man on the field next to Jesus. Those dudes could fly, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they were confident in, in their abilities and themselves. And when they didn't get a chance to steal, like they were offended in a good way. Like, I can get this bag. I got to get this bag. But look who's heading behind me. Okay, like I, I, I get it. And me personally, I've worked with some guys that was extremely – unselfish. Jose Altuve, when he led the league in 2014 with 56, was so unselfish. There's times like, I need you to run so Chris Carter can get some fastballs. And he was like, no, I want to stay here. No, I need you to run. Please trust me. And, and, and he would do it. And that was the, the coolest thing. Now, when it comes to coaches, you know, I had Sandy Alomar Sr., who was, like, tremendous. Uh, when you're in the Dodgers organization, you have to talk about Maury Wells. Like, right. if you don't talk about Maury Wells and you didn't do any base running, base stealing exercises or bunning exercises mm-hmm. ever, 
But also with the Dodgers, during that time, they had Goody Good, Tom Goodwin. He would come over and, and talk with us. Kenny Lofton was there. He came over. BB, Brett Butler came over as well. So you were, I, I was just around guys that this was just their game. And when I became a player, getting to work in the morning times, day in and day out with Juan Pierre, I learned so much from him. Like just watching how he worked and hearing stories about his younger days and how he took the pitching machine on the road with him so that he could bunt. And being able to watch him and study base hit bunny so much to where I could say, hey, if you just turn your hand like this, like you're throttling a motorcycle, like let's just see what that'll do. And he was willing to try because he was confident and tried it and saw that he was able to get, you know, a little extra touch, a little better direction on that. And thank me for it. I'm like, no, I just learned just by watching <laughs> you in that moment. But base dealers are, are a unique breed. And then at times, we all can be fragile. Like, you can get the best jump. You can feel fresh and legs are light. And you can still get thrown out at second base. Mm-hmm. Like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? <laughs> and if you got a good coach and he believe in you, they'll let you keep going. But as soon as that coach creates some doubt, like, I don't know if you can get this base. Now, he starts to think, I don't know. Instead of saying, we just going to let this guy hit right now. I'm still keeping it positive. Be ready. You're going to get this bag at some point in time. We just need to let him swing the bat right here. Okay, okay. There's, I'm not creating any doubt, which leads to self-doubt, which leads to a whole bigger problem mm-hmm. later on down the line. Yeah, no doubt, especially at that big league level when you're the runs matter so much, and mm-hmm. especially depending on what time, what type of offense you have. Like you yeah. mentioned, Altuve, like Chris Carter, fastball hitter, he needs fastballs. So they're saying, hey, Jose, we need you to run more because if you don't, Carter's just going to be getting sliders away, and that's not going to help us anyway. So yeah. you have to be, I guess, more susceptible to being thrown out and maybe not getting as good of a jump as you want to. Right. right? To help our team for the better right and, and this, there's some times where the game can't end with the fastest dude in your lineup at first base right and sometimes it can't end with your second or your third fastest guy at first base as well with a guy that's kind of struggling at the plate like we need to get in scoring position as quickly as possible to give him a chance to where if a ball leaves the infield we got a chance of tying it or, you know, going ahead. And we got to be okay with that and be okay. So, like, that's where the study time comes in. Well, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go off of this sequence. This is the time we're looking to go. I just need you to time it up, see it. Like, I need you to confirm it. Hmm. I need you to time it, see it, and go. And then we'll take our chances there. And I've been, on, I've been there where a guy gets thrown out to kill at the bottom of the eighth inning. And your heart sinks because as a coach, you're right in there. <laughs> and you just say, you go like, was that a good move? Was not? And like, yes, it was. It was the appropriate time. But we learned in that failure. You know, he learned and I learned. And I think good base coaches will go, okay, what did I learn about the game tonight personally? What did I learn about my players tonight in the game? And what did I learn? about myself within this whole dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. So now when I go out there and I go, okay, this time, this guy, this is what we got right here. We're going to go, right, when the hitter is down on the count instead of going early. And because I know 
when that happens and that bat plays out, his times get slower, which will increase our chances because it's all calculated risk. No doubt. But what do you do when you have, you know, obviously you, you have a you have some confidence about yourself when you're stealing bases and, you, and obviously when you're successful, right, you get that stolen base. What happens when you get the kid or the player that he, he maybe been thrown out two or three times in a row, right? Now they're, now they're a little guy. How do you work with a player with that? That's really good. And so with gun-shy players, the first thing I would do is, and I've done this, where it's like, okay, look, I need you to shorten up your lead by a step, maybe a step and a half. And I want you to give me a good fake break right here. Going off of the sequence and the time and see how you feel with that. And guys will go out and do it. And it's like, man, I feel good. I was right on time. Do you feel like you can get the base at some point in time? Yes. Okay, cool. And then get back out to your regular leagues where guys feel comfortable. Or you might have to just shorten them up just a half a step. But also, I want to know what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting back. So you're, you're worried about going backwards. We need you to go forward. So let's deal with that mindset really quick. So do we need to shorten up? Right? Like, is he too quick? Like, you, as a coach, you like you're their eyes and they're telling you what you feel, what they feel. And so now we just married those two things together so that we can get back on the track. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause you're saying you want them to go this way and be confident going that way. But is there something in there that they have to be confident about getting a mm-hmm. step dive back to the first base? Correct. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be just something where like, I feel he's too quick. I'm not really seeing it. Well, if you're not really seeing it and you don't feel comfortable, then how about let's just, just shut it down and just be a distraction to the pitcher, but not to the hitter. And you can still help out the team with your speed. Yeah. And what happens with speed, speed either, you know, catches you up or it extends you, right? It causes distractions mm-hmm. and it builds immediate pressure as soon as you come out the dugout. So even though you can't steal a base, you can consistently put pressure on the defense and help the guy out behind you as well. So I just look at it as like, Man, base stealers are like the, the ultimate waiters. Like, they set the tables. Like, they set the tables for the guys behind them. And, and they're, they're great team players. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're deemed as selfish, but sometimes they have a, a different concept of what is the greater good of the team based upon their speed and their abilities, where if a guy doesn't have that, it might seem like he's selfish. But like you said with Altuve, he needed to run in order for the greater good of the guy that was hitting third and fourth in the lineup. That's awesome, man. What about, let's talk about cues and what you're looking for as a base runner when you're stealing a base. Let's say mm-hmm. you know, a, a right-handed pitcher. Is there certain parts of the body that you teach that base runners are looking at? Uh, I like to look at the whole entire body and just dissect it down yeah. from there. Uh, you know, just naturally, some guys just are able to do a hard focus more on the lower half of the pitcher. And some guys just like to see more of the upper body. And it's just to the preference of that particular base dealer. Yeah. So my job is to make sure finding keys for guys that like the bottom half, guys that like the top half, and some guys that just like the whole entire pitcher, like the whole entire from top to bottom. And so... That's my job to see and learn those guys. And that's what spring training is. What do you like? When you look, what do you normally do? What are you looking at? Okay. Mm-hmm. Some guys are like, I just normally focus 
you know, from the thighs down, and that tells me everything I need to know. So then when I'm watching film, I'm watching film for that guy. Okay. I'm watching it for the guy that likes the body. Like, you know, I see his body either compresses or, you know, weight shift back. So I'm watching for that. So if I watch the whole entire picture, then I can break it down to where I can help everyone on the team. Where in the past, it was like, if you if you were a coach and all you focused on was the bottom half, then you lost probably three or four guys in your lineup that had the potential to steal as well. So I'm watching the, the whole entire thing and I'm timing everything and I'm knowing what my guys can do and what they can't do. And so I focus on what they can do. And so we, that's what our keys would, our cues would be on what they can do. And so that's been successful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't look for one thing. And, you know, there's pitchers that have the same body type but have different types of movements. And so I, at, at one point in time, I was like, well, this type of body type guy, tall, skinny guy, I would focus on this, right? I would just focus on the feet. If he was a, you know, wide set guy, I would focus on his body. Well, you know, I learned a valuable lesson from an ageless wonder, Bartolo Colon, where he was not what I thought and what my idea of what a big body type guy can do. It's like, we can't steal off him because he's so quick to the plate. Yeah. Well, that blew that theory up. Mm-hmm. And then it made me go back and like, I got to question everything about myself and just learn more. And so what I did in being in the National League West, I, I got to see Dave McKay work. And the cool thing about in San Diego and in Arizona, as a, as a visiting and a home player, like, I was on the first base dugout, so I got to stand behind and just watch him move. And this is where we're all competitors. I would compete against him, and he had no idea I was competing against him every time we played. Hmm. Like, I watched what he did. Like, when we were at home, like, I would stay back and just watch what he did, watch his movements, watch what he did. When he would come out in between innings, I would watch and just see, and see how can I do it but just do it in my way, but even better. And it, it raised my level of coaching up. And I would just go back, and when they were still bases, I would go back and watch and see what did they see, what did he do, like just so that it would help me out. And I would just compete against first base coaches every single night. That's awesome. Because you're still that, – that, that's really cool to hear because you're, you, have, you have the mindset of, look, I'm a first base coach. I'm teaching these kids how to do base running, outfield play. I'm trying to be the best and get the best information I can to get this in front of them. And it's still a competition for you. You haven't like, I'm a big league man. I'm a big league first base guy. You know, I do my thing. I, I throw some BP. No, you're, you're out grinding it probably more, if, you know, if not harder than everybody else gathering all this information. And that's what big league coaches do. And that's what I wanted to portray. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned all this because it's a lot of work. It's not just showing up at the ballpark, hitting some fungo and throwing some BP. There's a lot that goes into this. It, it does. It, it's hard work. And the drive and the motivation is that I don't want to let my team down. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have some information out there that I can have access to by not asking or searching for it. And then lastly, the cool thing about when you were, when I was a young coach, there were some players that had time in the league. And so I wasn't embarrassed to ask, how did you have success off of this guy in the past? What, did, what have you guys seen in the past off of them? Yeah. And so 
that led me to where down the line where it was one time I watched 442 clips on a picture mm. and watched it. And it, I mean, it went as far back as to freaking 06 <laughs> and I watched it and I saw something that I didn't see. And I remember being in the meeting and I was like, oh yeah, fellas, you know, he'll pick over to first base, right? He'll ask a question to the first baseman like, hey, was he going on that pitch or was he leaning? The first baseman will say something. He'll take a step like he's turning towards the mount and he will quickly turn around and fire that ball back over there again. So it's like two picks on one play. And I remember seeing it at the very end uh, and this goes against what I do. I, you know, I said it casually and I believe casual people when it becomes on the basis or outfield play, casual people become casualties. Mm. Right. So I just said it casually, like, you know, this would happen. And I had a veteran ball player that walked over and he was like, I was waiting to see if you were going to say that. Cause not, I was going to bust your butt with that real quick. <laughs> and he was like, I see you do your work. Yeah. I was like, I appreciate that. All right. Uh, right. And so that was one thing, like, I don't want to not be prepared, but I also don't want to have everything just on me because it is a, it's a common team goal. So I want to see what other guys have as well. And so I encourage them to study, you know, even if it's just for five minutes, like study, let me know what you come up with and then we'll formulate a game plan within our game plan for you so that you can be successful. That's great. What about the, uh, the technique of a base stealer in regards to, because some people like to do a drop step. Some people like crossover. Do you have a preference? Um, I did. Now it's just matters. What matters to me is can he repeat whatever works best for him and feels good for him? Because if like if I'm just set on the on the cross step, right, and he's not comfortable with that, we can spend a half a year trying to get him to get comfortable with something that just don't work for his body and miss so many opportunities to steal. Mm -hmm. And so instead of using cross step or drop step or whatever is out there, I look at it like this. I look at it as like, how can we perfect and shorten the time and gain distance on your first step explosion series? Mm. That's your first four steps. And when we think about that, our minds can quantify four steps. We take steps all day long. So my mind goes, okay, so at four steps, I, I, I do it as marks on the field. In four steps, if you can get to this marker, your chances of success is really good by the time the pitcher releases the ball. And my mind can go four steps to get there, get quicker. Like your mind will calculate what you need to do to get to that point. And so now we just repping it with the, the, the energy level helps us get there so in the game we can get as close to that mark as we possibly can now if a guy's doing a drop step and he is just completely being unsuccessful with that he's running you know instead of eight steps he's running 12 steps now we got to see how can we shorten 12 down to 11 how can we get 11 down to 10 mm -hmm. how can we get 10 down to 9 so that you're successful and then now we, we break it down okay is it here can we gain, you know, a step in the middle of the second? Because it's four sections for me. 
right? The third, the fourth section is like down the slide, but the first, second, and third is where all the action is. And so some guys, you can see when they're running, when they get into the third zone, they start to slow down. Mm. So now I'm going to get you out on the field. I'm going to hit those marks, and now we're just going to focus on when you get to this point, I want you lifting and driving to this next phase to retrain you at this portion of, of the sequence. Yeah, that's awesome. I was, I was real fortunate when I was actually with the Dodgers to – but that's when Ricky Henderson came back and played. I think he was about 42, roughly around that time. Um, not seeing the field really at all and kind of just watching him. And I, number one, I was amazed at the size of his legs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his quads yeah. were, were unbelievable. And, but just like, he didn't necessarily steal a lot of bases there, but you could see like just the thought process. Cause I, I was listening to a conversation he was having. I kind of got a few words here and there. But the overall thought was, like, obviously, the, one of the best stealers ever, base stealers ever. But obviously, just the confidence that he had. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's like, look, nobody's going to throw me out. You know, he, right. just, he had that and, and probably perfect technique. And, and it yeah. all just kind of gelled for him. And have you, who's the best base runner and base stealer that you've coached? Ooh, man. There's probably a few, I'm sure. That's, that's tough. I'm just going to say, like, the, the top couple, Altuve was great because, you know, watching him every day and, and winning the, 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 the title, which was absolutely just, just great. Mm-hmm. You know who was a freak of nature was Hanley Ramirez. He was, like, 6'4", 240-ish and was chiseled and just stole bases. Like, it was just absolutely nothing, which was great. Uh, I was around, you know, Melvin Upton, BJ Upton, and he was just tremendous in – just his ability to just get off and, and just just go, which was like, wow, it was really amazing to see. Uh, San Diego I had a guy's name was Travis Jankowski, was really quick, but I had some time with him in the minor league, so I had already earned trust, and it was really cool to see him as a rookie, you know, still 30 bases in the big leagues, and he wasn't a full-time player. That mm. takes a lot of work. That's, Coming in the bottom of the night and stealing a base off of Kenley Jensen at Dodger Stadium is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that, would, that helped him, but it also helped me um, as well. You know, I saw Billy Hamilton. Goldschmidt was really good. Um, I just watched guys and just saw the things that they do, which was great. Uh, there's different techniques that guys use uh, that, you know, some guys just not quick. So they might have to get some momentum going towards the base in order to steal. But whatever it is for you that works, um, do it. Ricky was just unbelievable. Juan Pierre was just great. Just talking with him and picking his brain and, and seeing where he was at. Like you said, didn't believe anyone can throw him out. And I, I've had guys come back and they go, what time was that? Oh, you know, it was like one, two flat, one, one, nine. I got him. <laughs> no, you don't, bro. Really? <laughs> no, you don't. But what I've learned over time is base stealers see time differently than people that aren't base stealers. So their, their norm is at a certain time that they see. Like, so they see this. So they, their eyes and their reactions got to get adjusted to one, two, five, mm-hmm. where everyone else is seeing one threes and one fours. So it's different. So now we put limits on them. Women's turns, they're seeing things different. It's like the difference of 
of being able to hit a 100 mile per hour fastball and everyone else can only hit 90. Like that's a huge difference in reaction time. When I 90, let me see 90, 100, I got to make a decision and I'm probably going to make more bad decisions than good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I've learned about baseballers. Their sense of time is completely different than everyone else. Yeah, I completely agree with that, no doubt. So let's uh, let's talk about well, well as we wrap this this call up with you here. But I'm sure you've got some funny stories of being a first base coach, talking to some of these big league first basemen, even maybe the minor leagues. Any yes. funny stories you got for us? You know, over time there, there's been some really really good ones, but I'm I'm going to share a couple and I'm going to name names and it's it's cool. <laughs> but we were playing the Angels and I developed relationship or was growing a relationship with the first baseman in there, you know, Albert Pujols. And I was saying, man, I want to see you hit on the field. He tell me that he doesn't hit on the field a lot. And when Albert got hit, we had nice conversations. <laughs> Albert didn't get any hit. He made sure that when I ran out on the field, he was far away from me as possible. And I'm like, Albert, come over here and talk. And he would wave me off. The next time he would come up and he'd get a hit, he called me over like, no, nah, man, you didn't talk to me at that point. I'm not talking to you. Uh, and that was just a really cool thing. And just he would just share how he hit. He would like talk to hitters as they would come. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's passing along valuable information. So that was cool. The funnest guy I've ever worked with at first base was Prince Fielder. Okay. And my whole goal was to take every funny joke I had and I am letting him have it. From the time he's throwing the ball around the infield, even in between plays or whatever. And it would just became, so every time I would come out, I'm like, here come the dogs. And so he would crack his glove <laughs> over his, his mouth and I would just crack jokes with him just all night long. Uh, Joey Votto talked to me about, um, you know, his telescope and how he would just, you know, look at the stars. And that you just have some really good conversations. They're they're just regular guys. Coach who have to talk to me about, you know, my family and, and his family, and you know, share. My son was going to USC at the time, and every time I see him, he would ask questions. How he's adapting. Buster Posey was amazing as well. Like just guys, just sort of when you just talk and just have, you know, just really good good conversation. Adrian Gonzalez was good at you. Know, like, I'm gonna get you one time to yell back. And I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and so you just sitting there like like trying not to talk. And it was just the funnest thing. And it it, it keeps things light because it can get very intense out there, as you know. Um, but it's just a part of the game that most people don't get to see. But when you experience it, you look back at it or you get asked a question like this, you know, you start laughing at, at, at certain things as well. And it brings back some really good memories. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love stories, especially, like you said, I'm going to drop some names. You know, and it's that's part of baseball. Anytime you see people just laughing, right? We can see their teeth out there, you know, yes. and it makes it fun. And, it, and I, that's, I think, as a former player, talking to other players, that's, there's part of playing that you miss, but you miss yes. the guys, right, more than anything, and, and just the relationships and, and all these stories. It's great. Yes. And the one thing is, like, here's another one. It's a name from the past was Adam Dunn. He was so tall and so big. I told him, I'm not going to stand next to you unless I can stand on the base so you don't make me look like, you know, Shaq 
standing next to Kevin Hart. Like, and I'm yeah. like six three, but he was just a big dude. He's like six six, like two seventy, two eighty. So I'm like, unless I can stand on the base and talk to you, I'm not coming out here like this because I'm not gonna look like a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> and he would just laugh, you know, like come, like do a wave. You know, no, nope, I'm not coming over there. Yeah, and you know. I would just stand next to the base runners because I'm like, Mm-mm. you're not going to let me look like a midget out here or a little person, rather. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. That's awesome, man. Well, this has been extremely informative. This is exactly what I was looking for when I was like, I got to talk about base running because I just think it's so important. I, it's just so overlooked, you know, in the amateur side of things. And, and, and I don't even know it on the college side. Obviously, they're limited to the hours that they have and how much time they're actually putting in the base running. I know when I was in high school, we we did base running like crazy. Mm-hmm. It really took a lot of pride pride in it. And so it's, it's cool to see that, and, and that's what you're doing with your team. And, but, Derek, man, I, I appreciate you for your time. This has been awesome. Man, thank you so much. And to me, base running is where you can, you know, develop, you know, mental toughness. And it starts in, in practice, and it starts with learning. It starts with trying things, failing, seeing how tight you can make a turn, how small you can hit an area on the bag. And that's where you develop that, that mental toughness. And mental toughness is being able to help a person work through a setback or a challenge in those moments in practice so that when they get in the game, it's not the first time they made a mistake and they're trying so hard to recover from that mistake when there's a pitch coming in 3.4 seconds. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Well, this is awesome, man. Well, best of luck to you. Best of luck to the Pirates, the, my, my former team that I came up with. And yes. kind of majority of my career with, so I always have that that's place in my heart for the Pirates. So I certainly wish you the best, and thanks for coming on, man. Man, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Take care and safe travels when you get back out there. All right, you too. Thanks, Tarek. Take care of yourself. All right, take care.